The Recruitment Mentors community is now completely open for you to join. It's the meeting point for recruitment professionals who want to take their development and growth into their own hands. Whether you're starting out your career or five years into it, our mission is to empower you to accelerate your development with the most successful, collective, current and responsive teachings from outside of your four walls. You can now join the community for just £39 per month by going directly to our website at recruitmentmentors.com. That's recruitmentmentors.com. Your new mentors are waiting to meet you. Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Lauren Langdell, who is currently the director of North America at Trust in Soda, who are part of the Tronovo Group. Lauren entered the recruitment industry in 2014, straight out of university. Since then, she's progressed all the way from trainee to now director level, where she's responsible for leading a team and the growth of the American brand in Trust in Soda. Along the way, Lauren has founded Women in DevOps, which has grown to a worldwide offline and online community of over 8,000 DevOps engineers across the world. The community has become an industry-recognized non-for-profit devoted to empowering diversity inclusion within the technology space. Lauren, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Amazing. So where I always like to start is... In your opinion, what characteristics and traits do you think make up a highly successful recruitment consultant? Probably one you haven't heard before, but integrity. Okay. And just having a huge amount of integrity because I think in today's landscape, it's so saturated that reputation is one of the most important things that you can have. Mm. And when clients and candidates genuinely trust in you and have faith in your ability to scale teams for them or to negotiate um, packages, you know, especially complicated ones, I think that's when your reputation, your networking has like a dynamic change and does the work for you. Yeah, I love that. Did you have integrity from the beginning of your recruitment career or did you learn that that's something that's actually you you have to have if you want long-term success um I I've always held myself accountable to be like a very like honest person Mm. and I think I believe I have I think what changed for me is probably in the last like three or four years is that I've learned that people want to work with me for Trust and Soda, of course, and, and the brilliant brand we have, but also for me and kind of what that represents when you know, there's a huge responsibility. If you think you're working with like a startup, for example, and they're entrusting you to talk about their baby or their next mm-hmm. engineering project with someone who might not have heard of them before, or if they have heard of them before, not know what they're doing from a technical perspective, but like that's actually a huge responsibility to get that right. And so I think that's something I've learned around, you know, just just being myself and actually being authentic, people recognise and can see. And me trying to be like overly salesy or like really trying to manipulate the sales process, that just was just so unnatural for me and it, mm. it just didn't work. And I know that works for some people, but but yeah, not for me. So I'd say in the last, yeah, three, four years, much better, but um yeah, something I've, I've learned to be. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So, so what? What? I'm, so so just for everyone listening for context. So we're going to really dig into your journey in taking your recruitment career to America for sure, because yeah. I, I do feel like that that a lot of recruiters do inspire to do that, or at least open to it. Um. So we're going to talk about that. But let where I always like to just start is like, what was Lauren's first year in recruitment like what were the early days like what was that first year like for you straight out of university oh my gosh yeah it was it seems like so long ago now which is um which is quite embarrassing yeah my first year so I started um I took a recruitment job my university town um I went to university in Cheltenham and I just I loved it I absolutely loved being in the Cotswolds being Vodka Revolution every Friday decided (laughs) to go home or wasn't quite ready to move to London so I worked for ITR Partners. It was it was fun. It was good. Um, 
I did well. They are a good a good um, group of lads. I kind of like learned the like traditional recruitment methods, you know, like your lead sheets and yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that. Um, but yeah, I was with them for about eighteen months, and then wanted to relocate to to London and um, yeah, try something new. Okay, amazing. So let's just talk about this journey that you've been on then with Trust in Soda. So yeah. firstly, obviously you've had Ash on the podcast in the past and um, yeah. Lloyd as well. So like when you joined, what did the business look like firstly, just to paint the picture for us? So when you joined, because I feel like over the last few years now, Trinova has really built a great brand, right, with the, the multiple brands that they have. So I guess what did the business look like when you joined? Yeah, completely different business to be honest with you. Um, I think I was employed like number six or seven. Um, wow. There's maybe like five or six of us in a, a very small office in Holborn. Um, we, <laughs> shared, we shared an office with Broadgate Search at the time. I think maybe they had like six or seven as well. So yeah. very small in its maturity. But I could tell back then, and the reason why I joined was that it was really cool like the branding was insane the message we already had like an insane client base that were working on like shazam and people like that um from like really early doors um but yeah it was a lot of fun and obviously that fun has continued but um yeah it's obviously very very different now and it's been an interesting journey having been with trust and soda five years this may being like employee number six to then like launching Mm. like a whole new office in a different continent um and looking back and being on calls of like 50 60 people <laughs> yeah that's that's crazy right because you you you'll hear recruit recruitment businesses saying this is where we're going and stuff like that but to actually go on that journey so i guess what what i want to know from you then is like firstly like i'm sure a lot of recruiters listening to this want to aspire to get to the position that you are if that's director or if that's to lead a team or even to take their career to america so i guess what I where I wanted to start was like, why do you think Lauren Langdale was able to get the opportunities that you've had? So let's just start with like, why was you the person that made sure that when they thought, okay, well, we're thinking about going to America, let's speak to Lauren about that. Like, what did you do to make sure that you were the person that got these opportunities? For full transparency, it wasn't actually me that put my hand up to go to America. Um, it hadn't necessarily crossed my mind um, about relocating to the States. I always knew, though, that I wanted to get to the top of my game, if that makes sense. And I, yeah. th- there is no ceiling in Trinovo, which is quite a, a cool concept. Um, the reason I think that I landed the opportunity I did, and I'm forever grateful for, probably is that, like, integrity and authentic piece um culture is really important to us and me and um i think ashley might have touched on this actually when he spoke with you in his podcast around getting that culture right in a culture that is is great but scalable and and being able to replicate that in in america was really important um to the leadership team and something that i guess they they felt they had that you, you could embody it yeah yeah, okay. and I, I built teams previously, demonstrated the billing side, um, demonstrated okay. building a team of, you know, very competent billers as well whilst maintaining culture. So I think that was kind of the, the motivation behind that decision. Okay. And then so, so you've spoken about culture there. I'm, I'm always interested to hear this. Like, So in your opinion, what do you think are the sort of free non-negotiables of the Trinovo group culture that you think has been the sort of recipe of success or cultivate the culture that you're proud to be part of yeah definitely um so the thing is about Trinovo is that everyone I want to make sure I communicate this in the right way and it's okay it's okay you know that the utmost passion for what you do and about carving out like a hyper performance environment where everyone has access to that performance and where everyone feels valued no matter what that performance looks like um on top of everything that we do around like well-being and diversity and inclusion um which i don't necessarily see as like industry standard um we invest a lot of time into making sure you know everyone's happiness is heard and they're involved and 
yeah, it's a just a, a good place to be where if you want something, we can make it happen. Like I always tell the story where um myself and Haley had actually gone to Portugal for the weekend and we decided that being in the office at 8.30 a.m. after an 11 p.m. flight back from Lisbon um, wasn't a great idea, especially wrote a presentation on the plane about why we should have flexi time. I wrote a presentation on the plane of why we should have flexi time, the, the, the benefits of it, and we walked in to work on a Monday and we're like, hi, Ash, Dave, can we have some time? We presented this presentation. And they said, um, yeah, you can have a one-month trial and if flexi time works and you can prove that it's only going to improve everyone's work-life balance and performance is going to go up, then we can keep it. But if one person's late on their flexi time, the deal's scrapped. <laughs> and, and it was great. We did it. We had a great month. We had a flexi time you know, policy for a few years before introducing remote working. So I've not really been in very many environments where that sort of um, proactive like attitude and yeah, yeah. your hand up and have an idea and make it happen kind of works. I don't know if that so, answers your question. But. No, 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 it does. I think that, I think we, yes, yeah, like, I really like this sort of high performance piece and having access to that and encouraging that. And yeah, like basically what we're talking about there is that, yeah, this culture has really high standards and people do want to be the best. And wherever you are on that journey, we're going to support you. Um, but I think what you're sharing there, which I love is that, yeah, I mean, how, I mean, with the clients you work with, right, how many clients say that this is what they stand for, but how many people actually live by that, right? So when you do have an idea like that, how many people go, yeah, okay, great, Lauren, even though one of our values is innovative, like, no, we don't want to hear about that. Do you know what I mean? So I, th I think that's a, a really cool story. So just, so I think what, what I'm really keen to sort of dig into with you is like this, this journey that you've been on in taking your career to America. Um, cause as you shared with us before we started this, you actually moved over there. Yeah. A couple of days before lockdown and everything. Right. So March last year. So, so you shared about the, they, the people around you felt really confident that Lauren could bring over is someone that could really live and breathe this sort of trust and soda uh, brand and culture over to the States. So can we just talk a bit about the sort of period where you spent in the UK building out that market? So like, where, where did you start? Because there will be people listening to this that may be thinking about there's opportunities in America or whatever, but like, where did you start to build out this market? Yeah, no, of course. Um, so we actually started six months before we relocated um, for, for many reasons, but I guess the main two ones were A, to mitigate risk, right? Mm -hmm. And and B, or two, sorry, um, was to make sure that we had the confidence from the day we landed. Mm -hmm. So before we even set foot on a plane, we did six months working West Coast hours, which were not fun, but you have to do it, right? I was working till kind of 2, 3, 4 a.m. in the morning. Um, and then we did several business trips just to have FaceTime with those clients. And we had a Women in DevOps event. We hosted it at Google um, over here in, in L.A. to start building our brand name so that when we did land, we weren't building something from, from scratch and, you know, hemorrhaging money um, mm. and time and resources. It was a good idea. It was hard, don't get me wrong, um, but we just learned so much in those, those six months around kind of what we wanted our market to look like, who our core clients were going to be, finding um, some core partnerships and just little things like just really understanding the local culture. One of the biggest shocks for me I think we're just understanding the cultural differences between a city like London and Los Angeles. And when thinking about um, jobs and career paths and packages and how important medical insurance is and 401k and, um, you know, salary bandings and laws and compliance and risk is an absolute minefield out here. But it meant that when we were going on client meetings, we weren't clueless because we'd already been doing this for six months. Mm. Got that. So, so basically, you really wanted to make sure that you had a platform when you actually landed there? Yes. So, so what I want to know, and I know people listen to this will want to know, is like, so you mentioned there around sort of understanding who your core clients were and stuff like that. So I guess what I'm just interested to know is like, and this may seem like just normal or basic to you, but th this is the stuff that people like really want to know because they can apply it, right? So so, you, you, so you, you're going to focus on the, so why did you pick LA? 
Why did you pick that state? We picked California because, well, A, California is the third biggest economy on its own um, globally. And it's one of the biggest tech hubs in the world. And trust and so does our our core markets is digital and technology. Um, San Francisco, obviously Silicon Valley, it's so expensive to be there. Um, And Los Angeles has an incredibly strong reputation when it comes to um the tech space and it's growing incredibly quickly calling it like silicon beach now but strategically located in between san francisco great tech hub and then also san diego which is great for like pharmaceutical med tech um and we wanted when thinking about like our grander plan and our global strategy and other locations like East Coast is very much on our radar. Like that will be the next step for us. Just starting to kind of plot out those global points. Um, plus, you know, the sunshine and surfing before work does <laughs> help any business case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, okay, got that. So thinking about the bigger picture, yes. I guess. So, so identified that. And then I guess, like, how did you go about then mapping out the actual businesses that you're going to go after? Like, did you go to the existing clients relationships you had and then started with by finding out, okay, well, what of our existing clients have functions in America? Let's start there. Like, how how did you mark, how did you start market mapping and where did, yeah, well, how did you go about that? Yeah, so it's, at first it seemed like a really, like, huge task. But actually, when you break it down and you create a plan and a strategy, um, it, it's not too dissimilar to what we were doing back in the UK. So the first port of call was to record, look at the existing clients we had in our European business and leverage relationships mm-hmm. of those. Um, the second thing we did was really utilise our Women in DevOps platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so by setting up an event, it was in the no, it was in November 2019 and we didn't move till March 2020. So a good few months before we relocated, that gives us the opportunity to speak to founders, CTOs, engineering directors, invite them, probe their brains. Um, it was the first event of its type in Los Angeles. So it was an incredible opportunity for us just to have honest conversations about diversity and inclusion within tech in the in the immediate remit in California, not only did we then get to build up market knowledge, we then got to speak to candidates and potential clients about non-recruitment topics, which in my experience is kind of when you can build the most rapport sometimes and really kind of get under the skin of of what, of what um, they're looking to achieve without it being too much of a a sales call. Um, And then the third thing was we invested in job boards, um, local job boards we use like a lot of social media to resource our candidates anyway so just make sure we're connected with local groups um and just kind of wanted to build our our network um mm. of both very strong candidates and clients aligned with our markets in our sweet spot which is like series a to series d startups mm-hmm. okay got it so that that's really helpful so I'm definitely keen to dig into the women in DevOps because the okay. fact that that's like one of your main things that really helped you get started here is, is amazing. So the first thing I just wanted to ask you and just dig a bit deeper on was, obviously it sounds really easy and simple to go, yeah, we're going to speak to our existing clients about America, but like how does that actual conversation go for you to get some traction? Do you know what I mean? Is it as simple as, hey, such and such a person I have a relationship with, um, look, I wanted to let you know that we're actually expanding into America. It's actually um, a really big part of our business plan. And I wanted to just speak to you about who does, who's responsible for hiring over there or who should I speak to over there if we're heading that way? I don't know. Like, How did that conversation actually go and where did you find you actually get the most traction on that? Yeah, definitely. I guess it also loops back to that integrity piece as well. Like, It wasn't um, a difficult conversation for us to have because we have such a strong relationship with our clients. And actually, it was this is really exciting off the back of our success with, you know, folks like yourself and the rest of our kind of journey in Europe. We're actually launching in the US. We'd love to also support Mm. all teams out there and replicate the good work we've done here. Can you introduce me? Could we have a meeting to discuss the USA strategy and how Trust and Soda can, can, you know, scale those teams across, across the Atlantic? Um, 
and given the sort of relationships we had you know that was that was fantastic and we managed to kind of leverage off our of our existing client pool not everyone has offices in in the us right yeah of course <laughs> it wasn't okay, like yeah. a simple task but so, so so obviously yeah it goes without saying like this is the whole point of having integrity doing the right thing delivering like if you do that over a long sustained period of time you build relationships when there is then a global expansion opportunity you can then lean on those people that will give you the time, will hopefully help because you've delivered, right? But I guess yeah. I'm just interested, because it makes sense to do that, but doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's, it works. Do you get what I mean? So I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, so, okay. So let's talk about women in DevOps then, with that being sort of a, the number two thing that really helped. So, for, so look, so you started that in what year? It was April 2017. Okay. So it's four years old. Why did you start it? I started it because I wanted a way to two reasons. The first reason is the genuine passion for diversity, equity and inclusion within the tech space within the market that I was hiring for. And I would always attend a lot of meetups for, for three reasons, A, to learn and to be able to have tangible conversation with hiring managers and, and genuine screening calls and being able to really kind of pick engineers' brains apart to be able to separate myself from the competition. The second reason is to meet clients, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and the third reason is to meet candidates. But I felt like I was the majority of the time the only kind of woman in the room. And I didn't really understand why, because I was placing a lot of um, female engineers and non-binary engineers and, and transgender, etc., and members of the LGBTQ plus um, community. Um, th- the other reason is I built a lot of my business plans and teams off the back of innovation. It's obviously a core part of the Trinova Group and Trust and Solid Values, but I wanted a way of connecting and building a candidate pool that wasn't off job boards or LinkedIn. Um, to create like those passive relationships um, and also to give me like tangibility when reaching out to candidates from a diverse background that I really genuinely cared and understood what those conversations looked like because Mm. when hiring a white male man everything from that headhunt conversation through to the interview through to the negotiation process through to the close is very different sorts of conversations that I would have with a working mum, for example. And I wanted to make sure that I had credibility when having those conversations and that I would continue to be learning and felt like I couldn't lean on the community enough to learn. So I found my own one, which is Women in DevOps in 2017. Yeah, no, I love that. So there's a couple of things here that I'd really love you to share. So one is like what was the first step that you took so how um, how many i'm sure you've had it in your time right how many recruiters colleagues peers have gone lauren i've got this great idea and then nothing happens right and this would have happened with a lot of stuff like this the events and stuff like that and i think yeah so what was the like what was it so from idea you had that idea like there's no one here that i can relate to i want to have more credibility this is something i really care about like what was the first step that you took to actually make that a reality the first step that i took was I secured budget from my directors to run the first event. So I secured budget. I then started a meetup page, decided on what I wanted the purpose of the meetup to look like, and then just started inviting people. Um, I'm a big believer in if you say you're going to do something, do it. Um, <laughs> and when you again i know it seems like um, this is not really better like you literally call people and go hey this is yeah. what i'm dying yeah cool yeah i'd literally call or email reach out on linkedin um i did a lot of work on twitter at the time i still do use twitter a lot um and just you know asking big questions like hey how important is diversity to your engineering team this year Mm. if it's not important well this is why it should be and I feel like this could be a really good platform for mm. you to learn and network on and if it is important you should be here to meet to meet others to meet folks in the um in your you know DevOps community to talk and showcase like what you're doing etc so it's it's an easy but very important sell um 
if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. So, so the next thing that I'd really like you to share, and I think you're touching on it, and when I ask you why, you, you've clearly really thought that out, understand it, which I think is really important with stuff like this. Like you've got the budget and stuff, but like, like you said, before you start speaking to people about it, you really thought about, okay, well, what is this about? What do I want this to stand for? What's the purpose of it? Um, and I think it goes without saying, like this has got to be more than like for me to, so I can place more candidates. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like the, the thing is, I guess this is a whole this is a whole podcast in itself <laughs> around the fundamental importance of having diverse tech teams is we're literally building biased algorithms and biased products and we're not going to understand the effects till many years down the line. I actually watched a really cool documentary actually last night on Netflix called Coded Bias which kind of sums up a lot of the work I've been doing for the last 3 years. Um, What's that so, called? Sorry, because I think that'd be interesting. Coded bias. Coded bias on Netflix. Okay, um, cool. I mean, it is in the US, so hopefully you can watch it in in the UK. But it basically sums up everything that I've been campaigning for for the last kind of three or four years. So I like that this kind of conversation is now becoming mainstream, and I think that the layman, or even if you don't recruit in this area or care for technology, I think people will start to wake up. Um, yeah. So that that was really important to me and representing diverse candidates in the space and being able to build teams that really reflect the world we live in um, and be able to like differentiate I cannot say that word (laughs) (laughs) differentiate you know what I'm trying to say we we know what you're saying yeah (laughs) um between my competitors but um yeah it all just kind of stems down to that like true kind of passion and integrity for for really wanting to build and and scale diverse teams globally so, so, so my next point on this, and I feel like you've touched on it. So if, if there's not much to add, just let me know. But I guess like where, so, okay. So we thought about the idea of taking the first few steps, but I'm now worried about getting people bought in to getting involved. I think not everyone's going to start a meetup series around diversity inclusion. I think that that's really compelling. And I think most people would want to try and at least I'd like to think understand, contribute or whatever. But I guess where sometimes people then fall short is, Aren't, aren't like clients or candidates just going to think I'm a recruiter trying to get people in the room so I can make money out of them? Do you get what I mean? So I guess yeah. how, how how did you make sure that I don't know how do you get people brought in? So it seems like you really led with like the purpose behind it and stuff, but like how did you get people yeah on the bus and, and brought into what you were trying to do? Yeah, definitely. I think even even that circles back down to that integrity piece. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And being it's a, it's a genuine movement which genuinely is advocating for underrepresented groups within technology who are you know constantly looking to showcase the voices of intersectional diversity with globally um and if you're being genuine and and having that integrity piece people don't look at you like that you know they can see what you're doing you have the track record um it took time to scale don't get me wrong at the first few meetups um we maybe only had like 20 to 40 and now we're kind of averaging between like one 150 to 200 um but also just understanding and having a plan and being able to communicate to anyone that's interested okay well this is where we are now this is our roadmap these are our success points and this is what we're achieving and being able to communicate that quite clearly opposed to just being like oh well um we have these drinks on a thursday and yeah yeah, (laughs) i get what you mean yeah yeah i'll get that okay amazing so we're definitely. I, I'm. I'm gonna. We'll, we'll dig into it now. But before we do, I really want to want to speak about the DNI piece. Um, yeah. And we have been. But like the final piece to tie this all together is back to the point on like how like you wouldn't have continued to do this. I personally, I think. Feel free to disagree with me. But I think it's amazing what you stand for. But there definitely is commercial benefits to this from a recruiter's point of view. Yeah. So. Like for me, I guess what would be really good for important to hear is not only we've just spoken most of the time around the purpose, how it can help people, et cetera, et cetera. But like, let's just break this down really simple for people. Like how has this helped you grow your recruitment desk? Like we don't need to talk about how much money it's made you, but let's just talk about how has it actually impacted your recruitment desk? What have been some of the biggest wins that you've had and stuff like that? Because I think that's what recruiters need to hear that this is, yeah. Um, 
this from a commercial sense, this works. Um, to put this into perspective, Women in DevOps in 2020 was the fourth highest source of revenue. Wow. Placements in Trust and Soda. That's big. Yeah. And it mm. was it came higher than any job board we've invested in. Everything. Yeah. The only thing that beat it was LinkedIn and different parts okay. of LinkedIn search. So if that doesn't tell you how commercially viable, you know, investing like that purpose, mm. time and planning, I don't I don't know what will. And we had a great year no, last year. We had a record breaking year last year. So it was, yeah. it was a lot. I love that. Okay, amazing. Thank you for sharing that. So, so let's because we because we've ended up going here. Let, let's talk about the DNI piece, right? Because I'm, I'm sure yeah. you can agree. Like you've mentioned it already. I think so. The conversations that I've had with recruiters, I, personally, I feel like most recruiters are genuinely curious, maybe even passionate, and under wanting to understand like how they can, I don't know, like play a part, right? Because I think. As, as we all, well, hopefully, if you're listening to this, you, you really hold what you do into account. And that's what you learn from integrity, like really taking what you do seriously as a recruiter. And I think, yeah, I think most clients and businesses, this should be in their top three things that they will be thinking about. I, I feel like from everything that I'm taking in and the sort of lens that I'm viewing the world through. But I guess like what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to ask you is like, there'll be a lot of people listening to this that generally have the right intentions that are curious about it for the right reasons. Do want to know more about, about the right reason? Do want to help their clients for the right reasons, but they have no idea where to start. Like, yeah. So like where, where can people start? Like, it seems like where you started was you really got curious about it and you wanted to connect people to get educated about it. But I guess for people listening that do share that same intention the right intention that you've spoken about that integrity like where do we start to learn about this so we can start going on this journey yeah definitely the, my actually the the most the first thing that jumps to my mind is to speak to your candidates and clients so here in mm. california in particular and i had this in the uk as well but more so in the u.s market is when you're speaking to hiring managers 19 you know the majority of hiring managers now have some sort of um, driver towards building a diverse team. And that's like at the forefront of their targets, right? So you need to be in as their recruitment partner to be competitive and you need to be a true, a true like extension to their business. You also need to be in line with their thinking is utilize your immediate network, like just ask questions and, there is a ton of resources out there. There are podcasts on Spotify. There are blogs. There are Instagram accounts. There are books. There's the Netflix documentary that I um I I mentioned earlier. But you sometimes you have to have difficult conversations, and that's okay. And that was like a big thing that came out of the the Black Lives Matter movement last year in the US. Is like have difficult conversations and educate yourself, and it's okay like to to learn and to like not necessarily understand if that makes sense but just make sure you're educating yourself and I don't want to become I don't want to be like a preaching podcast but there is there is so many resources out there but maybe start with your hiring managers like start with your clients like what are your clients doing around DE&I what Mm -hmm. can you be doing more what are they not seeing from you you're not sending a diverse shortlist why are you not sending a diverse shortlist um is it worth doing like some unconscious bias training yourself when looking at resumes um Mm. and also just understanding that if you're just using the bog standing recruitment tools you're probably gonna have an undiverse shortlist Mm -hmm. in the first place right um so just also my advice would be like learn different ways about resourcing diverse candidates I think yeah. it's not making any sense, but like, <laughs> no, got it. So, you know, where the no. ones aren't really sitting on LinkedIn necessarily in the yeah, evening, yeah, yeah. I think where it all starts. I love that you said that because I think there is that there is that worry, isn't there? Whereas, like, oh, am I going to say something wrong or am I going to offend people? And that can really just stop people from taking any sort of action. Um, and also, I think I'll speak for myself, but like being 
a white male to like try and have conversations about these topics sometimes you can just feel like am i the am i like who am i to like even talk about this you get what i mean yeah. um so i think what i love about that which hopefully people can take away is like start like if i think you're like you said like if you're not you need to be at least having the conversations like and it's yeah. okay if you, you're not going to be an expert you're not like that's okay but it's like you need to be a recruiter that is willing to at least ask questions and actually to start these conversations because then you're you're seen as someone that's willing to have those conversations and you're not going to be yeah put aside or left out if there's recruiters that they're working with that are actually having those conversations you get what i mean so i think it all starts with being curious yeah there's so much information that we can self-educate ourselves on and and start asking those questions that yeah may maybe feel make you feel a bit oh should i be asking that but <laughs> i think it's, yeah. it's that's where it all starts exactly and like just to be clear as well like this all loops back to being an incredibly high bear and everything that we're talking about now puts you into those next bracket right it creates mm. it creates employee engagement it drives right behavior and ultimately separates you from every other like recruiter mm. out there and yeah i feel like in in today's market these are some these are the sort of conversations that are going to make you more money and yeah, they're going absolutely. to you're going to be a top biller off, off the back of it um, mm. because you can drive that that engagement with the clients and have those more difficult conversations and just really understand what's important. Mm. Cool. Right. I really enjoyed going through that with you. That was good. awesome. So, so, so <laughs> like, <laughs> no, that was good. So, so obviously we spoke about six months building the platform Obviously, we spoke about Women Devots because that was the number two thing that you really leveraged to yes. obviously start building a brand over there and stuff like that. So, um, like, we've, I feel like we've been really positive, right? So, people want to know the dark days, like the, the tough days in recruitment, right? So, could you, I don't know, what comes up for you when I say to you, okay, Lauren, well, what, like, where were like the really challenging points and experiences that you had to work through when going through this transition and journey and building out this American? business from scratch like I don't know what were some of the real biggest challenges and hurdles that you had to overcome the the, the real dark days um was building a business from scratch in a brand new continent and landing four days before a national state lockdown during a pandemic that was about to last 12 months and not knowing <laughs> not knowing um what was going to happen that that was tough that was really, really tough. We had a plan, you know, we were prepared. We'd we'd mapped out our strategy, but I'm guessing like everyone else in this industry hadn't mapped out what we were going to do in the scenario. Did that, did that literally go in the bin, basically, a lot of it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we still have the structure, right? And we came out the other side. We still had a, an incredibly successful year um, and generated revenue and and yeah bought on new clients and and that was it was fine but you we immediately had to pivot in regards to how we were embracing um recruitment and how we were going to do things differently and how we were going to scale I guess like everything everything that I've done in the last 24 months the question at the end of every plan is like will this scale can this scale um so it was trying to make sure that everything we were still doing was scalable during a pandemic because mm. it was all part of this bigger picture. We didn't want to just still be like a, you know, a two-man team um, mm. in 12 months' time. So they were the dark days of just having to pivot, having to be agile, having to think in your feet, make quick decisions um, and just back yourself. And I've definitely struggled with confidence in the past. Yeah. That was, that was a tough time for me. What, 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 because I think like we can talk about it now, can't we? But like, I mean, it's so easy to forget like how you would have felt and how you would have been thinking in those periods, you know what I mean? But like, I don't know what helped you get through that period because, like, yeah, you've come out the other side, there's great things that you can talk about. But I guess what, because I think people can relate to this not just because of the last year, but we all have those low days in recruitment, don't we? And we all have 
those really difficult times you've got to push through, I guess, what were your sort of anchor points or what did you sort of draw on to be like, no, this is why I'm here, this is why I'm doing it, that helped you sort of see some of the light at the end of the tunnel? Um, drinking a lot of red wine, <laughs> definitely. It's <laughs> fair. <laughs> I drank a lot of wine in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, just sticking to your vision. And that's something I think we've we've really nailed at Trust and Soda is like having that vision, believing in it, saying we're mm. gonna do it and do it. And it didn't matter kind of what went wrong or what fell through, or we just kept that vision at the forefront of everything we were doing and just did not let us deviate, which is we have a, a two and a, and a five year plan basically is the the immediate vision with where we where do you want to be a q4 2022 what that looked like from a revenue perspective headcount perspective you know additional offices in the us and um i just kind of kept that there that you like draw out a chart and, and put it on my mm. my bedroom wall because obviously wasn't going to the office um <laughs> and had the numbers highlighted and it was just a case of we will get there we've just got to take take the long route we're just gonna have to take a couple of um you know alleyways and yeah just just the input the impo- i cannot stress the importance of having a vision yeah um, absolutely i think that's that's the common thing i think it's if you haven't taken the time take a step back and think about why you're doing it or where you're going then yeah you you can't then take that s- step back can you and you're just then focused on the challenges that you face that day rather yes. than like that will only be one day out of 300 days on the way to where you want to get to. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. okay. Exactly. So, think, sorry. No, 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 go on. <laughs> I was, was going to add that I think it's so easy to be bogged down, especially in the, in the pandemic, you know, deals fell through because people lost budget and, you know, people didn't turn up to interviews because they were had childcare that day. And, all those little things, it's so easy to build on that. But when you're just so crystal clear, okay, well, that's what I need to achieve. This is such a small piece of the journey and puzzle. All of a sudden, it kind of like took the stress away. Not yeah. all of it, but like... No, I know what you mean, perspective. yeah. Like perspective is yeah, so, yeah. so important. Yeah. Okay. So before we finish then, let, let's get into some some details, which I think people would really enjoy and, and want to know. So like people want to know, like, can you actually like make more money in america like what are let's tell us a bit about the typical sort of um uh, uh percentages that you'd agree with clients talk to us about average deal size compared to because you was doing the same market in the uk yes but now in america right so look, just give us some like real life context on that in your world because i think people want to know that yeah i i cannot stress enough how exciting the u.s recruitment market is and the real opportunity, the real opportunity to make incredible profit here. Um, there's, there's, I think Ashley might have mentioned this. My um, founder on his podcast with you actually, but there's something ridiculous that there's twenty six thousand less recruitment companies in the US than there is in the UK. Mm, that's mental. And then if you just think about the sheer scale and population contrast between the uk and the us it's almost like why wouldn't you do the us market um but on top of that the commercial the commercial just makes commercial sense um to focus and invest in the us so my average margin in in, in the uk was was sat around at the 18 percent mark wow. um in regards but to when you say margin sorry just so as in the average what like what do you mean the, by that? sorry like the the agree like fee like the percentage okay yeah, got it, got sorry oh, yeah. i did I did perm recruitment in the UK. Yeah. Out here, we're sitting around the twenty-five percent mark. Wow! Um, so you're looking at you know a good seven percent difference, which would add up in the UK. And then you add the perspective of so my core market is DevOps, and you know a good senior DevOps engineer in London would earn you know somewhere between kind of seventy-five to to eighty-five, ninety mark. In the US, or in particular in California, we're looking at like one seven five to two hundred k. all of a sudden you're looking at you know 35 to 40 45 what's your average deal size last year our average deal size last year was 30 grand (sighs) dollars yes that's and it's like i know there's nuances and stuff like that i know but people want to know this but like 
it is as a as a whole just we're going to paint like just a general brush over this it's it's the same skill set it's exactly the same skill set you just have to learn about like compliance and you know all those elements which you need to learn in the uk in the first place it's no different to gdpr in an r35 but if we're talking about the skill set of just if you really break it down right of mm. picking up jobs and placing candidates there is yeah. zero difference across the atlantic <laughs> except we are looking at incredibly higher fees <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and more of it you know it's less saturated yeah okay i'm glad you shared that so what what i want to know as well then is like so over the last so, so what did you what did you end up doing billings wise for you personally in that sort of first whole year of actually being in america does that work out with your year to year or what was um, the first personally i built about i think it was 720 last year wow dollars. yeah um, i mean i did that does include some kind of some some contract stuff but um yeah it was it was a good a good year as a team we want to do more closer to 2.6 million this year and bearing yeah. in mind you know we only landed on the on the ground last march and there's been a pandemic hopefully that gives you an idea of the sort of scale that is mm. really realistic if you work hard and have a business plan and a really clear vision yeah because i i just want to know then before we finish this because i think it's really important just to because i think this is a big reason why I started this is to actually just give like the actual realities because it's we can hear those big numbers and go oh yeah like I'm sure it's been easy like you're doing the same job in the UK but you're getting paid more for it right but I know that's far from the truth so like I guess one the first thing first part is how long would you say that it it really took for you to build traction um to get to the point where you had sort of monthly opportunities to to make a good amount of placements like how long did it take obviously you started six months in the UK build a platform yeah. and then went on the ground but then covid hit but like what how long was the time would you say it, it took to get traction for people to know um six months would be my number and when thinking about hiring my team and scaling my team like six six months from a from a standing start standard start yeah. yeah nice so the next thing that i want to know is then like what has been and again you may end up saying women devils but i want this i want you to share this so like what has been like the most effective way for you to get traction on the client side over the last 18 months? Um, Women in DevOps has definitely been one of them, like especially in California where you know, diversity is really at the forefront. Um, and I'd also say like your referrals and networks, like the thing, the thing is about the US is you're also, you have some of the best brands in the world here. Right, it's, mm. it's just mad what's on your doorstep, especially here in California. And I know there's other locations like Austin and New York when thinking about um, technology in particular. But once you start building your network and get recommendations, like it's just like wildfire. And mm. it's such a huge piece of land, but it's also such a small world. Um, mm. If you do a good job for good people, they're going to tell people about it. And you're going to have retainers on before, you know, HR, even though about it to some extent. <laughs> but Women in DevOps, of course, has been a, a, a great way for us because it's a passive and unique candidate pool that just mm. no one else has. And I cannot stress enough about thinking about kind of your market and how you can build something similar. Um, and the third thing is just absolute sheer persistence mm. and resilience and yeah. just every day just turning up and and working for lack of a better expression your ass off yeah yeah so love that so like what what i want to know then before we finish so people love this stuff as well lauren okay i'm just, <laughs> I'm just asking what people want to know okay so you just mentioned there so i think you broke that down really well but people want to know so you said they're around showing up every day doing what we need to do so like people want to know how you've remained productive, how you've sort of max, what you've done to maximize most your days, weeks, right? So people always ask me like, 
what does a typical day for Lauren look like? How do you structure a day? Do you do two hours of BD always in the morning? Like, I don't know, like people just want to, people want to know this stuff, right? Yeah. So like, I guess, how have you over the years and what do you do? What are your non-negotiables now? But like, how do you structure your day to give yourself the best chance of performing every day? Yeah, definitely. So there's definitely some like deviations in this, but just to give you a bit of like a rough idea. Yeah. Um, so first thing, set my team up for the day. You know, we have like big goals, mini goals for across the quarter, the day, the morning. Um, and that could be anything in regards to leads, you know, resume sent. Oh gosh, I'm really American now. Uh, <laughs> to you know client calls but then also it could be anything from you know LinkedIn content and mm. you know how many comments or likes we we aim to get here like how are we engaging our community today what do I post like setting up the team and just kind of getting them on board and just reinvested every single day and exactly what it is we're trying to achieve like yeah. um on a daily basis and then um I tend to work on candidate stuff in the morning mm -hmm. I'm such a foodie and like food just gives me life so it makes sense <laughs> to me to do client work in the afternoon um but I always finish the day with and actually something you taught me around like content and embedding mm -hmm. myself into the social media of my market and and taking that opportunity to learn um I then kind of break my day up a little bit differently I kind of try to finish it like an okay time head home go for a walk, have dinner, whatever. And then I jump back on my laptop um, and then really use those like few hours to like, get my admin done. Like, I just feel like your days are so important that I don't want to be sat doing admin in the middle of the day. That is my opportunity to speak to candidates, to speak to clients, to get on the phone. Um, and then I kind of do my admin like back end of the day on the sofa. Usually a glass of red wine as we've established on this podcast <laughs> and um, make sure that's up to speed because... Actually, as a parting like piece of advice, I was really poor at admin for the first four years of my career. And I kick myself every day for not being better because I now understand the importance of the database and what it can generate for you. And when thinking about your future self, like just make sure your stuff is on on whatever system and you're recording it and you're recording notes because your memory is not as good as you think it is mm. and um the last two years I started to really take data seriously and make data-driven decisions and it has changed it has changed the game for me yeah so, so when you say admin just to be clear you're talking about making sure that yeah the database is up to scratch up to date all of that yeah, like even if the candidates aren't right for your roles, like get them on there, like code up, tag it, we use Bullhorn as our CRM. So I know there's, mm. you know, everyone uses different stuff, but, um, and just having like accurate notes. Um, I was also so blase for so many years. And um, <laughs> like, I really kick myself because when thinking about your future self, and if you want to be a manager, your future team, that is a gold mine for the next kind of like yeah, one yeah, yeah. of your life. I think and that's I think a great way to put it is like, when you when you're if you're listening to this and you're thinking after that call, oh, I can't bother to put those nights on whatever. It's like right, I need to think of my future self. Like I think that's such a good way to put it. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. Um, okay, so we always end with like five final questions. Okay, but I've got like two just really simple ones before I ask okay. them. Okay, so okay. as we're talking about stretching a day and stuff like that, I always love asking this question. So, what do you think is the most important action or KPI that contributes to recruiter success? The most important one. The most important KPI. Yeah. I would say your uh, your resume or your CV sent to first interview ratio. Nice. I like that. That's a good one. A few, few people said that and quite a few people have said number of meaningful conversations every day but yeah i think i really like that one that's a good I one i really like meaningful conversations but i feel like meaningful like how is how, like, you, how, how tangible how you, is that yeah yeah, yeah. i know I'm, I, yeah. I like a bit of tangibility in my life mm. okay i like it like, you can't TV. measure quality you can't measure quality of a meaningful conversation because like what's mm. the action point yeah so see yeah i like that cool so the the other question is i know yeah, so you're, as you shared, like you have a vision on these things. So I guess, like, what, how do you view the sort of US market, recruitment market over the next sort of year or two? Like, 
are is it because I think before COVID, I think so many recruitment businesses that I spoke to, like it was all about the US. And I think some companies have still sort of continued to make that happen. But I guess if I'm listening to this right now, like how realistic is it for me as a UK based recruiter, may have experience, got a good track record of like taking my career to the States? Like is that still attainable over the next 12, 24 months? And do you think that's something that I should be thinking about? Why are you still thinking about it? Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, like honestly, definitely. Um, we, we've got huge scale plans to scale across um, Boston, Midwest, Midwest offices. Um, we're just pumping more gas rather than taking our foot on the, off the pedal. Like, we're obviously expanding globally and looking at Switzerland and DAC and stuff like that. And they're also being super successful. But um, for me, my focus is obviously the US and it's where a lot of our investment and time and resources is going. Mm. So I guess why I asked that was... Like, would do you think it's going to be more difficult for me to get a visa, let's say, or do you, I don't know, any sort of things like that that you've been thinking about or know about just out of interest? Um, look, I'm not an immigration attorney, so I don't necessarily want to make any, like, sweeping statements. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I think with the new US administration and the new government that I think that's going to change kind of the narrative of of what um, – Yeah visas look like and I'm really quietly confident that when the borders open I'm I'm certainly really excited to look at like internal and external talent from the UK um and I'm hoping it'll be a fairly seamless transition for full transparency getting my own personal visa was the most underwhelming process I've ever been through <laughs> what, like, what, what I, do you mean by underwhelming like difficult like, no, and I thought it'd be really hard. And oh, I was, right, okay. honestly, I was so nervous about my visa appointment. They just asked me what my degree was, and then just like stamped my passport, <laughs> and that was that. I was like, right, okay. Um, but look, as, as long as you've got good leadership and, and good attorneys, I really do not foresee problems. Because mm. what visa are you on? Just on that, because I think that's interesting for people. Like, I'm how does on, it work? Yeah, I'm on an E2. So okay. the biggest ones, if, if you're in the UK, um, is the E2 or the L1 visa. So your L1 is like your internal business transfer. And then yeah. your E2 is the investor visa. So for us, it made commercial sense to go down the E2 route um, and we can just add people to our E2 visa. Um, it's a fair, it's a fairly simple process. Okay, nice. Yeah, and I know that that goes about disclaimer that Lauren isn't a immigrations attorney no. or whatever, but yeah. <laughs> it's just people want <laughs> to know like how realistic is it and stuff. Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, I don't. I feel. I feel like that could put people, like people, off. Do you know what I mean? Being yeah. like, oh, I've got all this stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, it's just a few forms you fill in and an interview, and mm. there's there's lots that you can do to control it. Yeah, if, if you're in, I'd like to think like if you're again general statement, but if you're in a company that is taking America seriously, I'd like to think they'd invest in the right law help and stuff like that. So I think yeah. quite quickly they'd be able to tell you yeah, Lauren, look, with your background or whatever you have, because you don't have this, I'm not sure how realistic, do you know what I mean? I'd like to think that exactly. they'd be able to find out quite quickly, wouldn't they? Yeah, um, I mean, you can turn up to the embassy and they say, you sometimes, you know, it's not as straightforward as that and you still have to go through the embassy interview, but I would just hate for that process to put anyone off from at least enjoying this adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so I've got a last couple of questions for you, okay? okay? We'll finish this up. Okay. So first one is, um, if you could change the industry, what would you improve? Oh, I would improve. I might be biased because when I came into industry, it was call times and lead sheets, but that just mentality of like, that's how you measure success within trainees and junior consultants. I really hate that mentality. Mm, nice. So what book have you read? And that could be either audio, I don't know, just something that you've taken in that's had the biggest impact on you. Could be something that you watched. Um, it's actually a book that underpinned a big presentation I did in Brazil a few years ago around um, recruitment. It is called Technically Wrong by... Technically Wrong, nice. Yeah, it's it's called Technically Wrong by... Sarah... Someone. Maybe okay. you could put the link to it. In yeah, the... I will. I'll put the link to it. So, Sarah Watcher 
Bocha, I'm really sorry. Not that Sarah will be listening, but um, if I pronounce that wrong. <laughs> Technically wrong. Okay, cool. Yeah, and, and basically that kind of underpinned the mindset change of um, how important diversity was and how I was basically going to build a recruitment strategy with DE&I at the focus of it. Love that. So a bit of a different and fun one here. Yes. What did you spend your first biggest commission paycheck on? I went to Dubai for the Dubai Sevens. I'm a big rugby fan, so I went out to Dubai. and Love that spent every penny of it <laughs> <My tenor. laughs> so I thought it was but yeah awesome question. final question what's yeah. what's the ultimate goal for your recruitment career um the ultimate goal for me is to be um leading and growing the us for chinovo group with multiple different brands underneath me multiple different offices and having the highest performing office within Genovo. I'm I'm here for a long time. Like I'm really sold. Like I, yeah, Genovo is it for me. And um, had a great journey so far. And there's so much, there's so, still so much more to achieve. So, yeah, Love taking it. on America. Enjoy Love it. Genovo group. <laughs> Lauren, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much Thank for you. having me. Thank you. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? And if you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.